Hello and welcome to our weekly MGFP Local Lunch podcast, where we provide you, our lovely listeners, with everything you need to know about Nottingham's local food heroes and how you can get more involved in our vibrant local food scene. Local Lunch is brought to you by me, Shona Monroe, and me, Penny Poyser, of Nottingham Good Food Partnership, the go-to organisation for sustainable food in our fair city. Yes. Now, it's been a very busy time for MGFP, and we're about to embark on a piece of research asking local people in Bestwood and Stenton about social eating, growing and composting in their area and for us to understand how all this relates to Nottingham's Carbon Neutral 2028 Action Plan. Our guest this week is our lead researcher for the project and we'll be speaking to her in just a minute. But first, as always, let's talk about lunch. This week, our seasonal local offering is a sort of a melange. It's a sort of a soupy, well, how would we describe it? A, stu- a soupy, soupy stew. Soupy stew. Soupy stew with a parsnip and borlotti beans, a bit of red pepper in there that was rescued from a local grocer. Um, and we can hear, we can hear uh, satisfied slurpings going on, which is always good. Lots of paprika, garlic, a bit of ginger in there. Jackfruit. Jackfruit. Some kind of seed. Oh, yes, yeah, the seed. Pumpkin seeds. Thank you, yes, because I'm forgetting. Um, and then a nice bit of uh, buttered sourdough toast, lovely, which goes very well. So, now to our guest, Marsha Smith. She's a social <coughs> innovator, a seasoned community activist, and founder of Super Kitchen. After seven years of working in the social enterprise sector, Marsha moved into academia to undertake research on participation and social eating. She's a PhD candidate at the Centre for Business and Society at Coventry University, a visiting fellow at the Nottingham Trent University, and an academic advisor and consultant. And we like to call her the the mother mother of social social eating. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really nice lunch, which I've ever done. Just eaten. We've got more than one quickly. Well, you're just going to be polite. Shona will be slow. Next question, Shona. Yes. So, before we hear more about your academic work, tell us what was behind you setting up Super Kitchen or Super Kitchen. Well, I've been thinking recently that this October is the 10-year anniversary of when I first set up Secret Kitchen in Snenton. And at that time, there wasn't really anywhere in Snenton to go for a cup of coffee or go for food. Yeah, yeah, I remember really, that. You know, yeah. with young children, I'm yeah. walking to town to go and pay £5 for a coffee. Yeah. Um, mm. And I'd been doing some voluntary work at Stonebridge City Farm and at a cafe at, at Snenton Hermitage. Yeah. And someone said to me, well, why don't you set up something? And at that point, I realised that running a conventional cafe, having a lot of high capital costs, starting stuff up, you know, lots of equipment, complex, you know, all this sort of stuff. I thought, you know what, this is not really what I wanted to do. What I quite wanted to do and what had worked well at the cafe in Snenton was cooking a big pan of food and then inviting people to come and eat it. Yeah. So in terms of wanting to set something up, actually, it was really pragmatic and it began sort of almost 10 years ago just thinking about community food provision broadly, I guess, uh, and looking back at how that then sort of moved into uh, running a monthly social incident on Friday night. It was, again, based around food. Yeah. Uh, and from Secret Kitchen, then setting up a project called the Family Cafe, yeah. which ran, I think, three three afternoons or three evenings a week after school at the old school hall near Green's Windmill in Snenton that was really trying to provide an affordable meal yeah, and a social brilliant. space yeah. um, for children in the area because, again, my sister and her partner and myself have been involved a lot in community working in Snenton. Mm-hmm. And, again, I started to come across hungry children, which I never... Actually, ever thought I would see, 
you know, I was at school fundraising for like Africa, you know, like yeah. with a bucket, thinking, you know, this was something that happened to other people. And I think it was sort of really shocking to me to realise that that was actually in my community. So we set up, you know, on the back of these other projects, just realised actually organising yourself around a cheap shared meal was actually a really easy way to feed lots of people. It was relatively cost effective and it had all of these knock-on social benefits. Um, and in 2013, I, I did a bit of fundraising and I did a TED talk and I managed to blag some money out of various groups. I just had to interrupt you there. You just, you just sort of introduced, I did a TED talk. <laughs> I, I did, did, yeah. I got just drop that in. So t- just tell us about the TED talk. I think it was it was at the Nottingham Contemporary. It was a lace market one. I didn't have any notes. I was so nervous that I just thought, if I over-prepare for this, I'm, my anxiety levels are going to become completely unmanageable. So I just got up and gave a talk and what I was thinking about at that time was setting up family cafe, saying I, I think we need somewhere where the sticky glue of food is reintroduced, it's social value. Yeah. And sort of then talking about, you know, broadly about the rise of food banks and that just a stone's throw from this wealthy area in the city centre of the lace market and contemporary, we actually had hungry children in Snenton and actually what was there that we could do about it rather than waiting for something to happen. And I think that was a bit of a dare to myself to say, if I go out in public and say I'm going to set this up, and I'm going to have to do it. But actually that idea was really well received. Um, and I think again, all of this looking back is that we've got, it's a really tangible thing, it's just sitting and eating with other people. And actually a lot of people want to organise and gather around shared food. So in some ways, I think it was a bit of an idea that was coming into its time and I think it's still in the ascendant now. But that's really how all those things set up, was just having a go at doing stuff uh, and actually just, yeah, just having a go at engaging with the community around food, you know, and obviously it's snowboard, I guess you could say, all sort of developed from there. And of course, I mean, the the sort of the birth of it in, in, in Nottingham, you know, we're, we're seeing that happening in other places, but Nottingham's still very much that sort of birthplace yeah. and still a lot of learning and testing which we'll talk yeah. about more in a bit so I mean why, why are you so passionate about social eating Marsha? I think again it's, it's easy to sort of look back in sort of uh, retrospective you thinking again I've been thinking a lot recently about the fact that I've been doing this for 10 years mm-hmm. and I would say it's it's a really it's a really human thing I mean, people are, are, are hardwired to eat in groups, and there's loads of fantastic research, like from a guy called like Professor Robin Dunbar, that came up with the Dunbar number, which is actually how many social relationships most people can sustain meaningfully. And again, he's done a load of stuff on eating and how eating together in groups, you know, it, it creates hormonal reactions and then endocrine reactions in the body, and how we're ostensibly we're hardwired to eat in groups because it's a site of safety, but also it's such an important um, site of social bonding. Mm-hmm. And again, if we think about, um, you know, roles like domestic roles, mothering, performances of care, how you care for people, how you show that you care for people, all the stuff around child rearing and grandparenting, but also like gender roles, who organises the labour in the home. There's so much stuff encapsulated in eating together mm-hmm. that really I think I just sort of got started on that. And again, I think my journey for the last 10 years has been really refre- reflecting on that, but also doing the practical stuff of expanding mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. And that's where the passion has come from because you realise there's so much stuff embedded in what seems like quite a simple thing is just eating together. Mm-hmm. And in every single society across time, we have evidence of people eating together in groups across the life, life course and in every sort of society. So I think 
once you realise it's such a potent practice and it's such a really important fundament in society that, you know, how deep do you want to go? I'm, I'm pretty certain this is probably something I'll be studying for the rest of my life and passionate about because, yeah, it's just, it's, I think it's very human. Yeah. So it was it was a big step then going from, from running a kitchen, I guess, to full immersal in academia. So why did you decide to do that? I think once we'd set up Super Kitchen, and I sort of forgot to mention that really one of the key things that, that really sparked the development of Super Kitchen was getting involved with a charity called Fair Share, because I knew that one of the main costs that we had in providing a community meal was the food. And obviously I knew, I was like one of those people at university that used to go around with a hat on and on my bicycle with a rucksack going in all the skips <laughs> yeah yes. I was in with like all yes. the skateboarding punky type people in the forest fields and we would go and get food it was perfectly good skip raiding you know skip, yeah. skip ratting or skip raiding and I got so I knew that there was food out there and I think again that was like another part of the puzzles of putting that together um, and getting in contact with a charity called Fair Share a fantastic woman called Simone Connolly from Fair Share sort of East Midlands and her saying oh I can supply certain food to you for your family cafe project and it's going to cost you this much money and just thinking that's the bit that's going to expand this and so again and then coming across all this service we're thinking the problem is far more extensive and pervasive than I even realised I didn't realise there was just as much food and again that's a specific part of that thing is just recognising that we live in a society of complete abundance yes. um, and our, our planet is our, our mother and she's our, this is our nursery and she's nurturing us and like actually what we're doing is, is throwing away those sort of opportunities to use what's already there and we've got a system where there is Poverty and scarcity amidst abundance, and we see that, like you said to David the other week, Professor Salt, we've got that in our own city, yeah. this sort of inequality. So that was also part of it. Um, but I think running the Super Kitchen project, really what happened was that people were interested in our model because they were like, oh yeah, we could bolt on food provision. It was really simple. You didn't have to run a full time cafe, yeah. you didn't have to have loads of expensive equipment, you could access food, and you had to cook a meal each time. I think there are people in our society that you could probably judge that they're either eaters or they're feeders yeah. and cookers. And again, I think there's probably like not so many cookers and lots of gatherers and eaters. And again, yeah. I think that's really ingrained in us. Yeah. And, and again, I think that, that model attracted people that wanted to cook for other people. And again, not professional chefs, not necessarily formally trained, but that model was really accessible. And I think, again, it touched people to think, oh, we could have a go at that. Yeah. So as Super Kitchen started to expand, I also realised personally that there's so much more to this model and also for it to really be effective and for us to talk about what we wanted to do and our sort of shared vision around bringing social eating into Nottingham and beyond, that really we needed some good research that would demonstrate the efficacy of our model. And we, I sort of looked at thinking, oh, could we commission it? You know, could we get some money to sort of commission someone? And then it just occurred to me, do you know what? I think I should just go back to university because I'm a trained sociologist and I used to teach sociology at Nottingham Trent University in a different incarnation of what seems like very long ago. Um, I left when my daughter was born, so that's sort of almost 15 years ago. And actually, I just realised that that was the, that was the bit, what, what the what the network needed was an expert to advocate for them Absolutely. and actually I just thought you know what I'm going to go back yeah, yeah. very naively I'll just go back to you say naively I think just the sector has changed so much within the last sort of 15 years it's much more competitive it's much more professional it's much more sort of customer oriented or sort of student oriented but I mean I think I was very lucky and again I think this is all the stuff that I'm interested in it's all relationships so when I I as for a meeting with my old sociology department, some of the stuff that I knew from before and some of them I didn't. Yeah. Uh, and they knew me from Super Kitchen and some other stuff. And I just said, look, I'm thinking about coming back to university, could you help me? Um, 
and yeah, they, the sociology department appointed me as a visiting fellow because I'm always all, all, already an RSA member, which is Royal Society of Artists. But, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and so I got appointed as a fellow, which gave me access to the library and all the facilities, which was really transformative. And I started doing a bit of teaching again, just to sort of get me back into the system, so to speak. But getting funding for a PhD was really, really difficult, mm. um, especially when you've got your own idea that you want to do. So even though I had a, quite a good background, but again, what I realised, what has been fantastic for me, what I really realised, and again, was this all ties in with social eating, is that everyone's helping each other. Yes. And everybody, nobody creates wealth or opportunities on their own. No, it's no, always no. created in relationship with other people. And I've had some fantastic people advocate with some people from Sheffield University, some people from the University of York, from Nottingham University, no, Nottingham Trent. So again, those networks, social networks that I've developed over sort of the last 10 years or so, came in really useful for me and I wanted to transition my career. So it took me a year though and I had a lot of rejections but finally I got some money from the University of Coventry to do my PhD and I've got a wonderful supervisory team there but all my field work is actually in Nottingham so that's how I made the transition over and again I think it's just made me more both capable but also more driven and passionate to make sure that that we really celebrate and acknowledge in a way that a broader audience can understand the real work that people are doing in the city mm. to feed each other. Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, yeah. there's, um, I mean, it's something we've, we've mentioned several times in our podcast is, and I'm sure it's the case in, in every city, but in Nottingham, there just seems to be this particularly strong sense of, of caring for each other. Yeah, absolutely. Well, interestingly enough, a couple of years ago, Nottingham City Council, I think it does like a citizen's survey every couple of years or something, mm. doesn't it? And I do remember going to this and actually speaking to John Collins about this and saying that despite the fact that we've got high levels of deprivation, Nottingham was still considered by its citizens or by its like residents as a really nice place to live. Mm. And actually, why is that? You know, And again, what we've got in Nottingham is a really strong sense of identity, yeah. of heritage, yeah. of, of belonging. And again... You've got, you've got a, a transient population with the big, two big universities, but you've also got, you know, a, a proper Nottingham population and all the different areas, got some quite distinct sort of areas yeah. in the city. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, it's the, it's again, it's it's the wealth that we're not very good at necessarily measuring yes. or also acknowledging is that underneath all of the stuff that we want, we want economic growth, you know, probably this untrammeled, unstoppable economic growth, but I mean, this idea that we, we want this constant growth, but actually underneath it, there's a whole load of wealth in Nottingham that is the social wealth and the social asset of people feeling like they've got a place to belong. And I noticed that David, Professor Salt, was saying in your last podcast yeah. that when he was living in America, he actually quite liked being a bit of an outlier, but in the end, he wanted somewhere that he could belong. And I just, I did actually think when I listened to that, you know, I wonder whether, how often he's eating with other people, you know, like from those places, I'm sure he was.